Hey guys, welcome to the Babylon Pastor Podcast. My name is Michael. And I'm Rob. Stay with us as we talk about church, theology, culture, and everything in between. Hello everyone. Welcome to the Babylon Pastor Podcast. I'm your host, Michael. And that over there. And I'm Rob. <laughs> I was about to say that person over there not paying attention at all on his phone is Rob. Mm-hmm. You, were, you were sort of making when you were sitting back there talking on like on your phone. I almost felt like a modern day child with any parent, you know, ignored, um, <laughs> subjugated to the background as my parent looks at Facebook. So mm, yes, yeah. I'm glad you're attentive now. I appreciate you know <clears throat> what. Um, <laughs> what what'd you say? I was pretending to listen. Uh, nice. Nice flashbacks yeah. to YouTube when I was asking a question and no one answered my questions. No, um, this week we're talking. I, 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 yes. Oh, thank you. The Lord's Supper and why you're wrong. I felt like I should have maybe introed with that. I like it a lot. The title of this episode. In fact, that will be the title of this podcast. <laughs> I feel like you know, get a little clickbaity here. Kind of really in. Um, yeah. So uh, I think I said in the second episode of the baptism one that it would be an understatement to say that there wasn't some disagreement here. Um, I know within the baptism debate, some people went uh, from zero to 60 and like straight up murked some people. I don't know if anyone's killed anyone over communion. Um, I I could be wrong. Um, There's always an outlier somewhere. Um, though I don't know of any stories in which that's happened. Now, suffice to say, there has been some strong words, though. Even in this, what I found interesting, doing the little bit of research I did, and by that I mean I Googled something, um, was that apparently Luther and even Zing- Zingli, both reformers, even had differing opinions on what happened during communion, which I find is interesting because they were both doing Reformation together. Um, but even they had disputes against about what that looked like and what that meant. So, uh, where do you want to start, Rob? Maybe, maybe where you started, cause I, you mentioned that your church just went through the transition on how you do this. Maybe you want to start there or what do you think? Uh, yeah, we can, we can do that. So I, I think the first major though, um, well, the first and most major, thing that separates how some do the Lord's Supper and how others do it or view it or however you want to describe that is there, there are two big fancy words. Okay. Transubstantiation. Hey, transubstantiation. Well, everyone it's 2021. Everyone knows how to spell trans. Um, and then substantiation. Okay. You're going to have to give us a moment so. to catch back up. <laughs> Because you just you just lost some people and some other people are laughing. So you gotta give us a minute to All okay. right, go ahead. Yes. <laughs> we're back. <laughs> and we're back. Transubstantiation and consubstantiation. And trans um substantiation just is called that because of uh there is the belief this is Catholic, right? Roman Catholic. Um that uh, the Eucharist is what they call it, the Lord's Supper, communion. If you're Protestant, that's most likely what you call it. Um, same thing. But their, their doctrine and belief is that um, the wine 
and the bread is actually physically in real life miraculously transformed in that moment into the actual blood and body flesh of Christ. So that's Sounds transformed, right? Scientific enough. <laughs> Which is why they call it transubstantiation. That's the view. Consubstantiation is the opposite of that, um, which just is what it sounds like. It's it's the opposite of that. There's no transformation there. This is wine, and this is bread, or this is grape juice, and this is bread, and this is just symbolizing and allowing us to look back and remember uh, what Christ did for us, the sacrifice. So those are two major differences, right? Yep. Um, and I think, so I referenced John 6 in the last uh, episode briefly toward the end. And that, that is, I think, one of the main, um, one, of, one of the main texts that you would go to if you were trying to prove transubstantiation or make that argument, because it's pretty stinking graphic, right? Yeah. What Jesus says there, he's talking about himself being the bread of life right? Which is one of the I am statements in John. If you don't know what that is, look it up. It's really cool. Um, uh, but it's a different episode. So, um, well, and even within that text, like he's, he's not like, if you're going from that side of the argument, most of the time he'll tell a parable and it's obvious what he's doing. He's obviously telling the parable in which mm -hmm. in this text, he doesn't caveat it. <laughs> so, I mean, I, the, the argument is like, well, this is what he said. This is what he said. Right. So. Yeah. Um, so he's talking about himself being the bread of life. He says in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you, you okay. So he, he's, that's the context. He's talking yeah. about the bread of life. Um, and then he, uh, the Jews grumble about him in verse 41. That's exactly what it says. Um, then uh, he talks for a little bit more about this bread of life thing and being drawn by the father. Um, he compares himself to manna that came down from heaven, which is another old Testament miracle thing. You should look it up. It's, it's actually really cool. Um, Your tagline, but, look it up. It's really cool. Yeah. It, that's, that's cause you know, that's a whole big rabbit trail. And we don't want this to be four hours, right? Like the, like, like the one two weeks ago. Um, but uh, so then he says, uh, I am the, so in verse 49, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Talking about himself. I am the living bread. He says that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give, uh, that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So he's clearly pointing to his sacrificial death on the cross there. Yeah. But then he just straight up said, so they're asking, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So that's where they landed. And he said to them in verse 53, this is the transubstantiation. Like if you're going to make an argument, this is where you need to go, right? Mm -hmm. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, 
you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And he goes on a little bit, but that's the most graphic part, I think. Um, and so you read that and you go, one, this is cannibalism and weird, right? Um, this is definitely cultish or whatever. Um, but if you're, again, if you're going to make the argument that, um, that, that in the Eucharist or communion or Lord's Supper, that when you do that in church, the wine um, and bread physically transform into the blood and flesh of Christ, this is probably where you would go to do that, right? Well, so two things, I guess. One, I was wrong. He does caveat it a little bit there. I mean, if you're looking at context, he's explained to them what he's talking about up until he yeah. said so he does kind of caveat it. And two, talking about people conceiving it as like as a cultish thing. If you read some early um, correspondence between like uh, Romans, as far as like leadership and when Christianity was coming up, there was this idea that Christians were like um, cannibals because they, they, they knew the language that Christians used when they did this. They didn't understand the um anything behind it though so all they knew was that christians said he said eat my flesh drink my blood and then there was this real understanding among some of the romans that these christians are are they indulging in cannibalistic inner yeah. incest because they call each other brothers and sisters there was a lot of confusion <laughs> from the romans uh in regards to this new christians uh this this new well they would have considered it a jewish sect or the jewish cult but there was there was this very interesting like if you read some of the correspondence um it is interesting to see how they they saw this happening which is interesting but it's also interesting to see that even early i mean this this was happening in in the early church this was a practice mm -hmm. happening so yeah so anyway, I just want to throw that in there. When I read that, I thought that was so interesting that the Romans were like, what is happening with those Christians? <laughs> like they were yeah. So yeah. So, and I think, so I, we're Protestants. And so the, the, I actually don't know that there's a Protestant denomination or anything like that, that would subscribe to transubstantiation. I know of none. I, I don't think that's a thing. No. I, I could certainly be wrong, but I don't think that's a thing. Um, and if, if you know of one uh, and you're watching or listening, Comment. Throw, throw it down. Yeah, because it, it would be interesting to hear that. Um, so consubstantiation is where I would stand um, in that. And one, uh, because I've done the Lord's Supper for a long time now, and I've never tasted skin and oh. um, or, or meat or... Uh, in fact, it's quite unsatisfying. Like there's no steak involved and... Um, I, I, blood is kind of metally, um, if you've ever had a busted mouth or something and I've never tasted that either. Like well, I've never lost a fight, so I don't know what that <laughs> would be like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Uh, Joking. wow. Wow. Um, but uh, two, like when you, when you read, um, so this would be my argument against that. Um, like one, if you read the context of what I just read in John six and you read the whole thing in context, Jesus says something that if you just read those verses, those couple of verses, it's like, bro, like I'm out, which is what some of the yeah. folks did. Right. Even in the story. 
But if you read the whole thing in context, he's clearly referencing his death on the cross. He's pointing to that, his body being the sacrifice, the bread. If you participate in this, you'll never hunger again, that kind of thing, right? Um, so uh, I'm just going to go to, again, another one of the, we'll go to Luke 22, 19 and 20, um, which is when Luke's version of the story, when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. And it says, and he, Jesus, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body. So picture it like this. He's holding in his hand bread. His body is holding it, <laughs> right? So he's physically holding bread. And he says, this is my body. He's making the point even then that this, this symbolizes my body right? Which is, I'm about to give for you. They didn't understand that at that point, but which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When you, when you do what I'm about to tell you to do, um, or what, what we're doing now, this bread represents my body. And this is the way that you remember me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, he did the same exact thing. He's holding the cup with wine in it. And likewise, the cup after they'd eaten saying this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So it is not, he didn't cut himself and drain it into the cup or anything freaking weird like that. That didn't happen. Right. Um, it, it was wine. It was the, the Passover meal. So there's wine in this cup and Jesus holds the cup up again and points to, to this being a symbol of the blood that he would shed soon for the forgiveness of sins. Um, so that to me, there, there really is not, um, if you're going to uh, make an argument in scripture for transubstantiation, in my view, you need to take things out of context to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Now um, I don't think one, uh, any any so I know when I was growing up the first time I heard of the obviously the you know the Catholics held to transubstantiation was in college because no one had ever even brought the idea up obviously in Protestantism, um, but I think most people at least our viewers or listeners are on board with us on that, so we're all on the fact that this is just this is a remembrance this is not a you know a physical representation now it's good for you to uh, to know that there are people that hold that to be the case um but obviously i think by and large i i would say 99.99 percent of you are on board with the whole this is not his actual body and blood so then we go off onto some other things that um that are different within now protestantism mm -hmm. so um and this is where some of the things get interesting uh, i'm not sure what kind of what notes you have on that side but i know for example the the amount of times the church does it, um, you know, how every, often, yeah. yeah, how often, um, what materials are used, for example. I know sometimes for some people that I remember the first time I went to a church and we actually had like some goo bread and some wine, like that was a shock. Um, and I mean, straight up, like I didn't even consider it. Like they told us that there was grape juice on one side and real wine on the other for people that had, you know, a, um, maybe more of a convictional issue on it. And I was like, I ain't never had the wine before. Definitely going in the wine line. And like, it was very interesting. Like, um, like obviously people use different elements and how many times uh, they do it a week. So um, 
I don't know which direction you want to go there as far as uh, the next sort of set of different. Yeah. So I, I think the shortest thing that we could talk about next is the wine or grape juice thing. Mm-hmm. Like, and so that, like you said, there are churches who do it several different ways. Right. Um, and part of doing it several different ways includes that wine or grape juice thing. And the grape juice came about because there were people who had the conviction that alcohol period, no matter what is sinful and you aren't allowed to do that as a Christian, right? So um, Welch's became the thing rather than wine, right? Welch's not wine. Well, also, uh, you know, some of those people in Corinth were like, I'd like to take a double dip of the blood, please. Yeah, yeah. Give me a, give me a case. Uh, <laughs> I would like um, a to take home. Yeah, like they've got, they've got um, their communion bottles wrapped in brown bags and walking down the street with them. They were indulging um, a little too much in the Lord's yeah, side. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I'll say that um, we use grape juice at our church, right? Um, I, um, I, at this point in history, I, like I'm not going to do this, but I honestly don't think we would have tons and tons of folks who are like, how dare you if we offered either or mm-hmm. um, because there, I don't think there's anyone in my church right now that would condemn someone for having a beer yeah. um, well, or something I was, like that. I was about to raise my hand and say, as any good Baptist, you have grape juice at communion and real wine at home. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is, that is hilariously true. Um, but so, uh, yeah, I mean, just traditionally is really more than anything. Um, it's yeah. grape juice. Right. And, um, and I don't think that the, um, first of all, wine is what was in the cup that night yeah. so long ago. Right. Um, and some Christians in the past have done all sorts of cartwheels to well, try and out tell of context, you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Yeah, uh, like all sorts of cartwheels to prove that, you know, Jesus made Welch's, not wine, and at the wedding and all the things, right? Your back hurt? Why? From That's, all that twisting you're doing? Like, yeah, right. That, that is not true. Um, but anyway, right? Like if if that's your conviction and you've you've um, that's totally fine, right? Um, and and um, so there are a lot of churches in the Protestant world that will use grape juice rather yeah. than wine. A majority um, of them, I'd say. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I too have been to a church um, actually in Louisville. Uh, when we we're there. talking about the same church. Yeah. Sojourn. Yeah. Yeah. When it, when it yeah. was a thing. Yeah. Yeah. So at that, they, they had, um, you know, like you said, wine on one side, if you wanted to do it that way and grape juice on the other side, if you wanted to do it that way, whatever your conviction was essentially is what you went and did. So, um, that, that was kind of cool. I actually liked that. Um, but long story short, wine, grape juice, both are fine. Um, biblically it is what it is. Um, I, I don't think that either side of that has, any biblical grounds to condemn or judge the other side for their stance. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I just, I don't think that I think we could agree to disagree or whatever. Right. Okay. Um, but I think the, another thing, so that, that lends itself to how you do communion at, because that varies super widely. Yeah. Right. Um, 
I don't know. So do you want to describe what, what that was like at Sojourn? When well, we so they did it. They were a church that was, um, they were a church plant that grew, but they were a lot more liturgical in their traditions as far as how they did a lot of the traditional stuff. So that was a weekly thing. So they held to a weekly communion. Every service at the end of the service, you would come up and um, you would form a line. You'd get in line. I know some churches like pass plates and you get it mm-hmm. that way. Um, but they would have you come up and then you would tear off the bread. And when you did that, they would say his body broken for you. And then you dip it in the cup and the person that held the cup said his blood shed for you. And then you would partake. Um, even some churches don't even say those lines, for example. Again, that's a lot more liturgical in nature and how you do it. Um, of course, at the same time, we, I'm sure we, I, we probably may have attended once together. I know we went a couple of times separately, but the idea was that was sort of the time. And I'm talking like 10, 18 years ago, where a lot of newer churches were doing a lot more liturgical things. Yeah. Um, so I don't know of too many that I, that I've been to recently to do it. Um, but that's the reason that was different for me in particular was because the church denomination I'm a part of only does communion like once quarterly. And when we do do it, it's a plate with the bread in the middle and cups around the edge and you pass that and you take it. Or at least that's how it was done before COVID. Um, (laughs) Now it's, now it's these little pre packed thing with the bread on top and you peel it off. It's the whole, it's a whole deal. Um, But the the idea is obviously there's, there's different ways to administer it. Um, And I don't know how, how you want to enter this conversation or if you want to get there, but there are particulars in, in, in like the elements you use even. Um, I mean, there's, there's a reason that there's bread and there's a reason that there's some churches would hold that it should be wine or at least a close equivalent such as, Mm -hmm. um, um, to do that again, that, that, that sort of branches off to another conversation, but that, that, those are the two main ways I think in as far as how to receive it, those are done. Obviously I've been to a Lutheran church, um, a really high liturgic Lutheran church where you actually had to go up and I absolutely hated it because you couldn't touch it. Like they, they put it in your, Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. It yeah. Terrible. I was like, I don't want your hands on my anything and you're putting bread in my mouth and I hate, I don't want anything to do with this. <laughs> so hey, if you're going to do this. You get out of wash my feet. Yeah, it was just kind of like uh, go big or go home, baby. They, they didn't warn us beforehand, and I was like, "You, that's something that needs to be told to me before I go before I go get baby birded some bread by some stranger." So, saying not yeah. not the preferred method, nor do I see any scriptural reference for it. So, yeah, you could back off that. Uh, yeah for our for uh, yeah i just i just couldn't take it i was just like i don't want any part to do i'm definitely not what denomination i'm not a part of right there um yeah yeah i mean so there are so many different ways that people go about doing this yeah you know and and i so i think that um a lot of those ways are simply due to um, church history, yeah. right. And, and tradition, right. That's, that's what most of it boils down to because nobody that I know at least, um, uh, actually sits in an upstairs room 
um, and has the actual Passover meal mm -hmm. and, and, and does it like they did. Yeah. Right. Which is so, so, it's so interesting that even when we see the early church, even when Paul's writing to the churches, it is very much seems like it's this communal meal in which you also partake in the communion. So yeah. that's, that's interesting concept that somewhere I'm not a church historian by any means, but somewhere along the lines, we lost that. It'd be very interesting to kind of pinpoint that at some point, but yeah. yeah so actually we've done, this is a sidestep, but we've done in our, um, so I'm going to, I'm going to offend some really liturgical people right now, but in, in our community group that we have, uh, in our home, we've done the Lord's supper together there in that setting before. And we've done it like that. Like um, we have a meal together and we've done it like that, like they, like they would have done it. Um, of course, without it being an actual Passover meal and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. But um, so, uh, but we've, this is a serious, serious thing for some folks though, like mm -hmm. a serious conviction. We've actually had um, folks, not, not a lot, but we've, we've actually had um, people that have left our church um, in the past because communion was changed in, in the functionally how we did it because so uh, essentially how, how our church used to do communion was we would have um, six uh, elders up in the front. The communion table would be up in the front and front of the pulpit kind of with the the silver trays and all that right yeah. and we had um six elders uh three on either side and the pastor in the middle and um they would do pass the plates they would go down the aisle like ushers and and whatever and, and pass mm -hmm. the plates and then there was one point when we um the, uh, they started i don't even remember why it was some kind of functional thing or whatever but they they began to do that from the back, like the elders were in the back of the sanctuary or whatever communion was back there. And then we would go to the front and, and, you know, work our way back or whatever. Um, but, um, there, there was a couple that, that really were convicted that like, this is disrespectful. The, the elements should be in the front, um, in front of everyone. It should be. And, and honestly that, that it, it's actually totally fine. Like I'm not, I, upset by that it's totally fine that's the conviction that they held right and it really stems from having done it like that for probably 40 years or yeah, 50 forever. you know what i mean like your whole life it's been done one way and to do it differently you're it's it's not the way it's supposed to be right yeah um and so i get that and that's totally fine but um but my view is a little bit more sarcastic in that if, if you're, if, if we're going to um, uh, be frustrated about how it's actually done, then nobody has an argument that doesn't do it on yeah, uh, with yeah. a Passover meal, wine, bread, give thanks, you know, like the whole thing, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. If you don't do it exactly how Jesus did it as he instituted it with his disciples, then there's really no argument that is biblical based that, that we can yeah. hold scripture and say, you're disobeying scripture if you don't do it like this. Mm -hmm. um, so it, tradition, conviction, whatever you have, it's fine, right? Um, 
again, like baptism, it really boils down to this is instituted by Christ. We, we should do it. It's important. And um, all of the smaller details of how wine or grape juice, that kind of stuff is actually way less important. It has a lot more to do with tradition and conviction than anything else. Um, but so I, I've, what we've, and, and actually proof of that is because so many churches, like you just described, and we did the same thing. So many churches completely changed how they did the Lord's Supper because of last year. Yeah. Right. And so if this was a true biblical conviction, right, that like I if we're not doing it this way, then we're disobedient and we're we're whatever. By the way, there are some very high liturgical reformed people that I follow online that that have they do hold that position. They they have not like when they whenever they either couldn't meet or when they did meet, regardless of what their state said, like they still had communion that way because they held yeah. it so high. Or if they couldn't meet, they, they held off on communion until they could yeah. meet and do it that way. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, and I think the Catholic church did that as well. Like if, if your particular diocese or what, however it's divided up, right, or whatever, if they, um, if you couldn't go to mass because there wasn't mass, there was no communion, right? Yeah. There was no uh, Eucharist. So, um, but, so we, but we, we changed how we did it for that. Um, and now there are uh, communion elements on tables on either side of the stage um, at, at our church. Um, and there's a point at the end where, um, I will lead into that and then people will come forward and take their elements. And when everyone kind of has it, I'll come back up and we'll partake together. That that's also different because some churches do it like, as you grab them, you take communion on your own. Right. There's like a thousand different ways to do communion. The point being do it, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Same with baptism. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, at the end of the day, we can we can argue about the the little things involved, but uh, the the end of the day, it, it is always Christ instituted this. We are to do it. Period. How often is another you know major yeah. contention? Um, well, and some of those arguments, if you do, you want to transition into how many times? Sure. Yeah. Okay, so I what I find on some of those arguments. So for example. I think you may, everybody that's listening or watching may know this already, but I, I am part of the Wesleyan denomination. So they do it once a quarter. Now this isn't their only reason for doing it once a quarter. Is that across, across the denomination? It's if you're going by the discipline, how many times you should okay. do it that. So it's really, I guess really, I should say it's a very loose rule in regards to your church can kind of do whatever they want, but they, they, they say, if you, if you need somebody to tell you, then do it once a quarter. Um, but the idea, and the only reason I've ever heard for why that is, is because if you do it every week, it loses its meaning, uh, which I thought is a terrible argument that me, I mean, it's just kind of like, okay, so you're obviously not debating this topic because that's a terrible opener. Um, but it's one of those that, that, that most of the time, if a church doesn't do it every week, it's normally based on some arbitrary thing mm-hmm. like that. Like, yeah. Some some reason of like you know 
it'll lose its meaning or something. Uh, in which case I say, well, I only kiss my wife once a month because I don't want it to mean, you know, lose its meaning. Like, it's just kind of like, okay, like that's a terrible argument. Wait, maybe that's what the wives think. Uh, no, we're not. You don't get, you don't get kissed um, a lot or. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> um, so, but we just made a transition with this, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you know that. Um, yeah. And uh, not be necessarily because we found something in scripture that was magically there and said, you need to do this this amount of times, right? Um, in fact, back in the history of our church, our local church, um, long before my time, they used to do it quarterly, Right. And then uh, at some point in time, that changed to monthly. And so when we came here, that's, that was kind of the, the tradition and had been for years at this point, um, that it was first Sunday of the month was Communion Sunday. And, um, and that's fine, um, I, is my view in, in the text. Um, some of... Um, there are some biblical arguments that one could have as to why it should be every week. Mm-hmm. Um, however, those arguments aren't actually linguistically definitive, right? So, for instance, um, they'll uh, use phrases and acts like um, the, the breaking of bread, right? And, and that could mean having a meal together or it could mean the Lord's supper or it could mean both. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's no definitive, like Jesus didn't say uh, this um, as often as you come together, do this in remembrance of me. He said, this cup as often as you drink it, uh, do this in remembrance of me. So there's no definitive as Jesus instituted it. There's no definitive how often from Jesus. Yeah, just not there. Um, what what we do know from Scripture is that the um, the early church it was very regular, right? It, they they did it often, right? Um, however, I I know some uh, there are there are a few people in in our church that um, before our church or when they grew up or that kind of thing did it annually. Because it was the Passover when Jesus instituted it. So they would, around that time, they would do communion. And it was a big to-do. They would make it a big Passover-esque kind of community meal and and do the whole thing. You know? That's an interesting argument. I don't know if I've ever ran across anybody that held that. That's, I mean, I I can see your reasoning, I guess. Sure, yeah. Yeah. So, um, but... So we made this transition, right? One from just a, uh, a practical standpoint that we have um, at that at that point we had uh, people who were on the worship team, right? That that worked during communion on on the first Sunday of the month, right? Um, and they never got to just sit and partake like one of the congregants because they were always doing it um, at some level. Two, if uh, it once a month, we have rotations for like 
the those who serve in the nursery, children's church, that kind of thing. And uh, all you would all that would need to happen is you were on nursery one month, children's church one month, and sick one. I mean, you might not be able be offered for three months, right? Like three or four or five months if if things fell wrongly. Mm-hmm. So, um, that was one of the practical reasons that we started talking about this, but. But also, it's like um, one of Ben, one of our elders, the blunt one, right? Uh, when when I when I brought this up, um, I feel like that would be his biblical name, Ben the Blunt One. Yeah, Ben the Blunt. Yeah, when um, when this was brought up, it, it went to our elders, and we we began the conversation. He he came back one Monday morning to one of our meetings and and said, um, you know, I think in my mind, the question has been, why wouldn't we do it every week? Um, And so one of the worries was like, is this going to just become a a ritualistic thing that we do? Right. And I get that because I mean, a lot of, a lot of churches that do communion every week, traditionally, it is just like repeating the Lord's prayer and and seeing the doxology at the end. It's like just some thing you do that you don't always think about and dwell on and feel the weight of. Right. However, the counter argument to that for us was, well, so we should just preach once a month and worship with music once a month. And you know what I mean? Like, because that stuff doesn't lose its meaning and that wasn't, instituted by christ as a sacrament right in remembrance of him so if anything needs to be often um it it would be this right Right. so there was some back and forth and we kind of talked and prayed about it and and at the end of the day it was like you know that it makes sense to end every time that we gather with the essence of the gospel and and our remembering of that so well i think anytime I mean, again, I mean, this, obviously it's not a a one and done hard rule, but I think the idea of saying like, you know, well, it'll get old if we do it every Sunday. Like, I think you're attributing one's attitude toward the sacrament to the sacrament itself. So you're saying, you know, well, this, if we do this all the time, it'll just be another thing when it's actually, you're the one perceiving that to be like, like, so you're, it's our attitude. If, if it loses its meaning, it's not the sacrament that loses its meaning. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that we, we've grown dead to the importance of it. So it's really an attitude issue in that regard. Um, but, yeah. and I think that again, I mean, you know, like, I think the argument of it'll, it'll get old uh, or it'll it lose its meaning um, it falls flat on its, its stupid straw man face when it's actually played out. Like, like you're saying like, so we should just preach one. So, I mean, that's the thing. Like the idea here is obviously there are things that we do that are important and have meaning and are purposeful and should be done. And mm-hmm. if, if, if they lose its meaning, it's not because the thing itself has lost its meaning. It's because our perception toward it. Right. I mean, you can go to church every week and not hear a word the pastor says, but that's not on the pastor. That's on you <laughs> sitting there, not listening. Yeah. Um, so it's one of those things where, and, and reverse side, right? A pastor can technically preach every week and say nothing. And it's not the congregant's fault. <laughs> the pastor right. is not prepared or doesn't care. Um, so, yeah. Well, that's one of the things that I, that I said during that time too. I like one, I just want to make the point, like I, I totally get if that, yeah. if that is your worry, I, it, 
and it makes sense because again, when you look at some some churches and even some denominations as a whole, come off like it's just another bit of the liturgical thing that we do, right? And and it does kind of lose some of like, do you understand how big of a deal it is that we get to do this, right? Yeah. Um, but but you know, part of what we try to do, um, the the Lord's Supper ends up being part and the end of my application every week for every sermon, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, so even, even the harshest things that I have to preach about it at the end, back it's, to the gospel every time. Yeah. At, at the end of it, at the very end of it, it's, and that's why we celebrate this. So that, that's, even though that we that's have cool. This, Cause it keeps you accountable right? like, as a pastor. It keeps you accountable to the gospel. Yeah. Yep. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, but, but I'll say that like one of the things that I, that I think of uh, when I think of churches that it just becomes ritualistic. Part of that is because it's just become ritualistic to the person who's leading it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. If I am excited, this is the same with preaching, man. If, Mm -hmm. if you're preaching and it's because you went to some service and bought three points or something like, or whatever, then it's like, like any moron can do that. Right. And so you're not even saying anything. You're not convicted by it. You haven't been dealing with it all week. And so when you get up there, you're either going to have to be a really good actor or um, you're not going to come off like this is something they need to hear anyway right? But if you've been dealing with that text, and if um, God has been destroying you (laughs) with whatever's going on there, and you have the weight of that bearing down on you, then you're going to preach with conviction. Mm -hmm. And that is no different with presenting the Lord's Supper. At at the end of every application and service and and sermon for me, um, it is a major to-do that we get to do that. And so, I, I, my personally, my feeling is when, um, when I am no longer excited about taking the Lord's supper, they will quickly not be either. Yeah. Excellent. So I think, I think as listeners and viewers, you kind of know where we fall on this particular topic. If you have it, you're kind of dense, but yeah. once um, again, not objective. Yeah. But the idea is that regardless of where you fall on it, the idea, just as in the episode on baptism, on the episodes on baptism, like you should do it. If your church isn't um, doing communion, that's, that's a bit problematic. Um, again, since it's a commandment from Jesus to do. Um, and then also like, obviously there's, there's, um, there's things you probably should push back on a bit, depending on, you know, how it's administered or, or why, um, or like by who the, all these things are, it could be things that could be have discussions on, but the idea is that you're taking communion for the purpose of remembering Jesus death and in our place for our sins. That's, that's the idea here um, that you're doing that for that purpose. Right. So. And I just want to say one more, I'm sure that we're already past time. Oh, we are. Long one again. Yeah. But, um, but like one more thing that I, heard a lot growing up or felt a lot growing up anyway. And I, I don't know if you felt the same way. Um, but there's this struggle, this idea, and it comes from that first um, Corinthians 11 um, text is there's this idea 
that um, right after the text that I read in the last episode, um, where it's kind of the text that you hear read all the time, um, this is my body, which is for you to do this and remember it's me. Um, so verse 27 of first Corinthians chapter 11 says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. And he goes on for just a moment. And the context there is that the, um, the church in Corinth was, uh, indulging in gluttony and getting wasted and saying that that's the Lord's Supper, right? So, um, but but how that plays out in in some minds and hearts and churches um, is uh, if I've got some unrepented of sin or some sin that is like maybe something's between like I I know there are people that have just uh, been struggling that week and choose not to take communion, right? And um that's not necessarily what Paul is. In fact, that's the reason that we should remember him in communion because we suck. (laughs) Right. And we desperately needed what he provided there. And so communion is solemn because it's about the death of Christ, but it is a huge celebration at the same time. And we are blessed to be able to partake every time that we get to. So let me just say that we could cut this entire episode out and include that three minutes. And that right there was, yeah. (laughs) So, (laughs) so um, I think people do get, so there were times that I was terrified. I was like, I, if I don't drink this, mom and dad are going to know something's up. But if I drink this, I feel like I'm going to (laughs) die. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. yeah, You're like, Oh no, he just said, I'm going to drink condemnation on myself. I don't know what that means, but I'm 12 and it's terrifying. Um, (laughs) And it's one of those things where I think, again, this is where, man, contextually looking at the text, exegeting the text correctly, getting the actual meaning behind what he's saying here is important. Like, like you said, I think it's important to realize that Paul was being like, Hey, you guys are throwing a rager and you're calling it communion. (laughs) It's not a rager guys versus, and I think what you said right there that I think will probably help a lot of people that listen to this is that like, that's the reason we do it. The reason we do it is to remember that we do need Jesus. Um, so the very conviction you're feeling is that realization that I need him more than I ever realized I need him mm-hmm. uh, versus what was actually happening in Corinth, which is like, like, like we joked before, like we're taking over 12 back of communion. Um, I mean, there, there's a distinct difference there of what's happening there versus what he's saying and what he means in those verses, which, I mean, I'll just like, there, there's so much damage that can be done to someone's psyche when things are not interpreted or taught correctly. And then you have a perception of something that's not the actual perception of what is being, that is, that was being communicated originally. Um, so again, that's why I said you cut out this whole episode and leave that, that little thing there. I think that, that, that alone will probably be very helpful to a lot of people. Because like, like you said, I don't, it was never really stated, I don't think, but it was definitely like this unanswered question of what am I, can I drink this now? I don't know if I can drink this now. Because yeah. um, I said a, a potty word last night. So it's one of those things where, yeah, things can definitely, if, if they're not explained well, can lead to confusion. So no, for sure. All right. Open and close communion. 
Do what? Closed, com- closed communion is um, when a church only offers communion to people who are part of that church, who are members of the church. Mm-hmm. Open communion is what we do at our church. And it's like this, uh, if, if you are a believer, even if you're just in an RV passing through, please feel welcome to come and take communion because you're part of the family, maybe not on paper on this list here, but but you're part of the family of God and, and we want to offer communion to you, yeah. um, the Lord's Supper to you. So that's open communion. Any Christian, closed communion is only members of that church. So this is already a long episode, so let's just keep going. I do have a, let's just talk. <laughs> okay. Just, right. It's fine. Let's just talk briefly because I think this is, I think. I was trying to make that super quick. But I get yeah, it. Yeah, I get ahead. it. But I think that this is pretty important in regards to the very misunderstood uh, when you talk about church discipline and stuff like that, right? So people being cut off from the table, from communion, right? I think that's, we don't talk about it a lot. And I think the conversation gets lost a lot because of open communion, which I totally, I'm totally on board with open communion. I'm just saying that I think the conversation gets lost a lot on that. Whenever we do do, do church discipline, for example, and somebody is, is, is put out of the church because of unrepentant sin, but they still think they're good. So then they still try to, you know, they'll go get communion somewhere else. As, I mean, if that is important to them. So sure. where, where do you think that plays within a church? I, 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 let's be honest, outside of the news and the whole idea of Biden being cut off from communion from some Catholic churches, I don't think a lot of people are really in the know that that is a thing that happens, which I think so that when that is brought to attention, people are like, what? You are a bunch of buttheads. Like, that's not a new thing. Like, that is a thing that happened. But um, have you ever seen that? Because I'm bringing it up because I haven't seen it happen, though I think it is a biblical concept. I don't think I've ever seen it happen in a Protestant church before where someone has been within church discipline and cut off from the Lord's table. Um, um, okay. So the scripture. So, so the main church discipline text, everyone will go to in scriptures, Matthew 18. Mm-hmm. It's, it's from the mouth of Jesus himself. He talks about how to react and how, how to go through this process. Um, and, um, and the end game, the end of that, if, if there's repeated, like, nope, you're crazy. I'm not going to repent. Nope. You're whatever. Get out of my face. Don't talk to me. Don't tell me, you know, if there's a lot of don't judge me and get out of my life and it ends with excommunication or being put out of the church, the, the phrase that's used is treat them as an unbeliever. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and so with that, uh, I think, if if we don't think about that, um, it can sound like get out of here, you loser or whatever, right? But that's not how we treat unbelievers, no, right? No. That's we treat unbelievers in such a way that we we desperately preach the gospel, right? And and we call them to repentance in God, yeah, push yeah. them to hope in Jesus Christ. However, when I'm uh, and and we make it clear. So we had to do church discipline recently mm-hmm. in the past couple of months ish anyway. Um, but part of the letter that, so phone numbers were blocked. You couldn't get a hold of this person when it was time to actually go, look, we can't, we can't have you as a member, you know? Um, uh, so we, I crafted a letter to, to do this. Um, and in the letter, like I, 
quoted scripture after scripture in my wording and even to the point where um, I said um, that we um, were going to turn you over to Satan, right? So that, so that you, you'll be saved uh, in, on the last day in the judgment or whatever. Um, and which is pretty strong language. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, not like we so, usually hear right but but it's actually i mean it's, it's scriptural yeah straight up what paul says right it word word for word i just i quoted the actual scripture um and the the idea is if if i have to assume based on your conduct uh, and your lack of repentance which is what defines by outward appearances anyway a believer from an unbeliever right is the the understanding i have sinned i need to repent help me right um if if that's not your reaction and it's persistently not you like you don't go home get convicted and then do it then i have no choice but to assume that this is a false confession mm-hmm. of being a believer with that said even in open communion how i phrase that is um if if you are a believer, we want to welcome you to join us um, in the Lord's Supper and remembering the sacrifice and what he did. Um, and, and you could also say that we, we did this uh, last month and some of the phrasing we used, but, um, but you, you could also um, say to the unbelievers in the room so they don't feel all like, if you're, if you're an unbeliever, uh, get out. <laughs> and your your time is over but um yeah i mean you could also say and if 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 that's not you if that's not where you're at yet then we hope and pray that you will get to join us in this soon as you come to know christ and understand the sacrifice that happened i mean you can do that in there and you know yeah not be super offensive and stuff at the same time um but but yeah open communion still means yeah a believer come and if i have to treat you as an unbeliever because of church discipline then that's not you right yeah. so but i haven't heard of uh, personally or seen a situation where usually yeah. when you practice church discipline on someone and it's at that stage they're like bye yeah right well they'll just go to a different church normally at that point right. well so that that brings up something too because what we do at least in our town is not not to every church, but the ones that we we are all on the same page with things and stuff will contact one another and say, hey, just so you know, won't give a ton of details or anything like that. But there was church discipline. This is the name. So if they come, there's a situation, right? Um, so that, that is very responsible. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> worded in a way because you're 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 saying, look, this isn't like it's known that you're not just going to hop somewhere else and this be okay. Like that's, that is a group of churches being the church saying, you know, okay, this you're, you can't not, you can't just live in unrepentance and think that this is, you can just yeah. join somewhere else. Yeah. No, cool. Cool. cool, cool. Isn't another church is going to have to deal with the same thing yeah. all over again for no reason, you know? Yeah. yeah. That's a question I need to ask Archer. I don't know if we do that. Like, do we do we talk about it or do we just let Jim Joe walk in here and cause the same issue? Yeah, and and you know you don't you don't 
slander the person or gossip be gossipy yeah. about that's why the I said situation. it was responsible you're just simply saying look church discipline yeah. is done you know you don't need yeah. to know the messiness of it you're just you just so you know they're not yeah. and they've left so and this person is actively under church discipline right now so yeah yep. just fyi we do the same thing when people ask for money and we give it to them oh no yeah so, yeah, yeah, so yeah. that they don't church hop and get away with it kind of a thing yeah all right. Well, good deal. I thought I thought that was important to cover, though, um, since we're already on it. Even though who knows how long this one is. Uh, but if you guys are still Four here, hours. Hopefully, this was helpful to you. We'll talk to you next month. Bye bye. Bye.